Tyburn Place. Thanks for joining me here at Still in the Race. I'm looking forward to the next year, mostly because I have no idea where we're going, how we will get there, or if it will be meaningful in any way. Still in the Race is a podcast about running, except when it's not about running. It's for those looking for a unique perspective from someone largely unqualified to offer any perspective. I cooked up the idea of chronicling the year that I turned 60 with a little prodding from one of my children. The concept was that I would try and capture my thoughts and observations as I pursued my lifelong habit of running. Not that there aren't many runners my age, but to be honest, the numbers are thinning over the years. And I'm aware that it's an increasingly rare perspective, which I admit doesn't add to its credibility. My objectives were relatively simple. Prove that as we enter the autumn of life, it's still possible to chase unreasonable goals. Better put, the pre-described path toward retirement was less like the golden years and more like fool's gold. I kept finding myself at the bottom of rabbit holes on the internet, and there were always common themes of loneliness or feeling irrelevant from no longer contributing to society. There were so many of those stories that it felt like part of aging's job description, and I wasn't ready for that. We buy into a model that we spend years looking forward to retirement where we can avoid constant demands and stress, ignoring that real life is found in demands and stress. As people, we are all either growing or shrinking. Intentionally shrinking feels like a bad plan. Our most recent Sunday paper had an entire section called Mature Lifestyles. As I paged through it, taking steps to talking about long-term care, What happens if Obamacare is overturned? Make our house your house. Sign up for Medicare Part B. Everything is about surviving. Nothing is about thriving. It was a completely depressing publication. Yet it was highly representative of everything that I was reading. Alone, out on the roads, is where my mind finally slows down. And I think about life. It's a place where I have managed to carve out space over the years. My naive hope when I started was that some nuggets of insight might help others as they navigate the dramatic changes that come with this time in life. It wasn't the kind of plan that had any clarity of vision, but rather more of a general direction. During the months approaching my 60th birthday, a vision had slowly started to come into focus on where my journey would begin, which was unique because I rarely have clarity in any part of my life. I felt the same, but looking at 60 left me feeling different. Different ages affect different people different ways. And this was the year that left me feeling like I needed to do something meaningful. After all the birthdays and all the years, this was the one that I was fixated on. I could envision myself that first morning, sitting on the steps of the Willows Inn located in Palm Springs, California. It's the go-to spot in the world for my wife and I when things are getting hectic. The desert and the mountains and the art and the people fit us like a glove. 
While the sun rose over the valley, I would lace up a new pair of Solomon road shoes that I had gifted to myself and set off for my first run of the decade. It's worth noting that I have almost no brand loyalty. My last seven cars have all come from different manufacturers. I have no idea who made the shoes that are on my feet right now. But I am brand loyal to Solomon running shoes. And Rush. And Bowie. But that's it. And I knew that they would be with me as I set off on this year-long journey. Slipping out the front gate, I would quickly bend left in front of the Palm Springs Art Museum and then trace the O'Donnell Golf Club's edge before turning through a neighborhood that my wife really would like to live in. I would then head back to the south. Next, I would wind my way toward the movie colony before turning back onto Tuckwitz Canyon Way in the direction of Starbucks where my wife had once chased a homeless person down the street, which is a whole other story. We would meet there for a cappuccino, grande, extra shot. That was day one, and I could visualize every step. I was healthy and in good shape, or at least the version of good shape that comes with being 60 years old. Looking forward, I took some comfort that regardless of how the year might play out, at least I knew how it was going to start. Once back home in Grand Rapids, I would hope, better put pray, for a light winter that would allow me to push through the streets around the downtown where I live. I hate the cold, and even as part of a larger project, knew that if winter turned bitter, which is part of living in this part of the country, much of my journey would take place on a treadmill, which is annoying to run on and would make for unusable content. I needed to be outside of the world, and the streets of the city and the banks of the Grand River were my wilderness. When I set out, I know how far I intend to go, but that's where my plans end. I step outside, choose right or left, and let the traffic dictate my path for the day, making every run unique. When I approach a busy intersection, whichever way has the right of way, that's how I turn. If I'm getting too far in the wrong direction, I gauge the traffic and start winding my way through the cars and trucks, most of whom wave and give me plenty of space, although yes, there have been a few close calls over the years. When I need silence, I pick my way down toward the riverbank and its many historic bridges. As I sat planning months before, I knew that those streets would provide the ideal place to work my way through the year. There were so many stories in those streets. That was the idea. Then, as always, reality showed up. I was counting down the days, and with less than three months before my birthday, I had developed a click in my right knee. It wasn't causing any problems, but it led the only place that it could. Every runner knows it's rarely the first pain or discomfort that causes the problem. It's merely where it starts. And even at this point in my life, I am well aware that even the slightest strains eventually lead to real problems. I focused on my form, trying to assure that I wasn't changing my gait in even the subtlest way. Still, the next pain came in my ankle. Then finally, a popping noise in my hip. I've never been able to discern if those popping noises are in your brain or if someone else can hear them, but we all know what they mean. At that moment, I knew that it was an injury rather than just an inconvenient muscle pull. Still, I managed to live in denial for a few weeks and struggled through runs that ended in pain and left me hobbling the following morning. Running out of balance brought back my plantar fasciitis with a vengeance, and soon I found myself trying to limp with both legs. Like most of us, the final injustice was when COVID erased our vacation plans. The first morning was going to find me stranded in Michigan. The other reality crept on me more slowly. Looking around at the world, I started to see cracks in my plan to challenge those of my generation to strive toward a more meaningful autumn life. 
it was just too neat of a package. 2020 forced us to look at ourselves. It forced me to be more honest about the state of the world. Hatred, dishonesty, manipulation became the foundation for discussion all around us. White supremacist groups have somehow carved out legitimacy and found their way into the mainstream. Automatic weapons can be carried down our streets and into the Capitol buildings. A tsunami of debt has been piled on the backs of our children and grandchildren. Income disparity has grown to the level that guarantees social strife and can only lead to more racial tensions. We inherited an imperfect world, but it was a society with good bones that we should have been able to build on. What I saw when I looked around was a mess. I have to admit, the younger version of me thought that we would be in a better place by now. I understand that people get weary at a certain point in life, but it doesn't feel like the time to encourage our generation to grab the golf clubs and gracefully fade into retirement. We need to stay in the game and fix the mess that we helped to create. I fear that the divide that I see in our country has become a bridge too far to reconcile. My only claim to fame as a runner is that I have survived the years, and I question if my body can take another pounding. I have no idea how to do a podcast. There is nothing on my resume that would suggest I can make a meaningful contribution to this conversation. One of my biggest disappointments is how little useful wisdom has come with age. So, the plans have been tossed aside. I'll take to the streets and see where this year leads. Day one is here, and the reality is not what I hoped. I am not in Palm Springs. My vision for the first day of this journey is in the trash can. As expected, I am still in Michigan. The wind chill is 36 degrees. There's a steady breeze with a light rain falling. The thick gray clouds over my head seem to mirror the way the world feels to me right now. This is everything I do not like when I set off for a run. My hip is better. At least that's what I keep telling myself. It's been seven weeks, and although the pain that made it difficult to walk is gone, my brain keeps telling me that it's only one step away. It's much more likely that I have just adjusted my stride and learned to live with it. The rest of my body is growing increasingly bored with the limitations of my latest injury, and I'm on the verge of admitting that it's going to be a winter full of struggles. The Solomons are in the closet, and for the first time in my life, I'm wearing Hoka running shoes. I finally gave in and bought a pair because they were at the top of the rankings to combat plantar fasciitis. I queue up the latest 538 podcast to keep me company. The election is only a week away, and even though I know that listening to anything political only exacerbates my anxiety, I can't find a way to disconnect. I tuck away Rush and Bowie because they are my friends and they deserve better than this. Pulling up my running app, it just feels like the universe is telling me this is a bad idea. All that I can think of when I step outside is that it was cold. Not January cold, but the first cold always brings a shock factor, even after all these years. And it's not just the temperature, it's the all-encompassing grayness of everything. The clouds are low and thick, the cement around me is all gray. In Forrest Gump, there is this scene where he can't tell where the sky begins and the horizon ends, because everything is so beautiful. As I set out, it's hard to tell where the pavement ends and the cloud begins, because everything is gray. The world feels like winter, both on the calendar and symbolically. And as I set off, my thoughts drifted back to last spring when my city was suddenly deserted. 
One morning, I turned left out of the condo and proceeded to run down the middle of one of the busiest streets in the city. Because I could. There was no noise or chaos or crowds or smells during those weeks, which can be suffocating, but there were our noises and chaos and crowds and smells, and I missed them. As I set off, I can only hope that those days don't return. And I feel the weight of knowing that it might be many months before I see my family again. Day one turned out to be uneventful. My fingers were frozen the first half mile, but slowly became more comfortable and settled in. Once again, my hip began to bother me around the three mile mark. It was more of an annoyance, but I started picking my way back toward home. The expectation bar was low, but I finished. I admit that's not particularly ambitious, but part of a journey is that you have to finish day one. 3.7 miles in the books. I am a serial writer, constantly making notes of whatever pops into my mind. My desk is covered with sticky notes. I have thousands of pieces, some in a format resembling a finished product, others more like an idea. It's an ever-present need to get the stuff in my brain onto paper or onto a computer screen. And, on occasion, it allows me to reflect on a moment of life that likely would have slipped away. Turning 60, it became impossible not to look back on the day that I turned 59. At that moment, I was aware that it was a unique time. But a year later, it's apparent that I had no idea how much bigger it would become. I want to read a few pieces from what I wrote shortly after that day. I turned 59 today. It feels like it should be a watershed moment of life as 60 stares me in the face, which is undeniably a life number that can be only acknowledged as ushering in the fall of life. A year later, it's interesting that I was fixated on 60 even on that day. I'm not sure what that says about me. Back to the story. However, it suddenly took an unexpected twist and became much more of a day than I needed to capture. It was a turn that one could only hope for as a young man when you are too young to realize how much you would cherish such a day. A turn that I can only hope my children have the opportunity to experience when they reach this point in life. The weekend started two days earlier when my wife told me that she had to pick up a friend at the airport, which to my defense, she had done several times before, only to arrive shortly after I had turned in for the night with our youngest son trailing behind her. They had thrown their plan together at the last minute and he hopped a plane from Brooklyn to surprise me for my birthday. When you have three children scattered around the globe, the opportunity to share a birthday with any of them is an unexpected gift, for which I'm always grateful. Stop for a minute. That sounds so out of context in today's world. People don't hop planes for quick visits. Spontaneity has been replaced with cautious consideration. We could have never imagined that New York City was only a few months away from being the focal point for the world, as it shut down and brought in refrigerated trucks for the dead. It was a different time. The life moment arrived early on Saturday morning when the two of us had a light breakfast and headed for a nearby trail that ran through a nature preserve that was a short drive away. Both of us were runners, and the miles and years made it nearly impossible for us to share many of these moments. It was 45 degrees but sunny, and I set off with my son, who was 30 years my minor. It was a picturesque path that started by crossing a march on a long wooden bridge and then wound around a wetland through a rolling terrain covered with damp fall leaves that left us searching for footing. There were three decades between us and I'm sure that he was on cruise control, but it kept a steady distance between us holding on to the moment. 
we were together doing something that we both loved. My body still allowed me to take to the trails with him when given the opportunity. In the late fall Michigan autumn morning had provided one of those backdrops that this part of the country rarely deals up. My wife had pulled him from the city to the woods of West Michigan, and for a little under four miles I chased him down. It was a moment that I never expected to get. It was an experience and a feeling that I pray my children will have the opportunity to enjoy as they start families of their own. The late October trails with the leaves falling all around us and one of my adult children leading the way. It would be impossible to be given a better birthday present. I wrote those words before COVID in a time that feels very far away right now. Even though our children live far away, I could still get to them. We dreaded fighting the crowds, dragging luggage through airports. Now I find myself anxiously awaiting for those days to return. As much as I appreciated that day when it was happening, I couldn't imagine just how unique it was, how much of a gift it was. I hope, on the other side of whatever this is, that we see these moments for what they are, the days that matter. lot of runs blend together, but during this first week I had one of those runs. Typically they are the kind that I keep to myself because they oftentimes paint me in a light that I'd rather not be seen in. I dread bad weather to the point where I fear that I'm going to spend the entire winter whining every time the temperature drops. Then there are days like Sunday. No one was out running. No one was outside doing anything. The rain was soft, but it was relentless, and it was coming down at an angle. A steady 20-mile-an-hour wind was coming out of the north with gusts up to 45 miles an hour. It was one of those rare days when they don't even bother to do the wind chill because it just doesn't matter. Looking out the window of my sixth-floor condo, the furniture had blown across the deck and flipped over. It was terrible, which is why the streets were empty. But it was also one of those rare days that crossed the line from terrible weather to a challenge. My wife barely acknowledged me when I mumbled that I was going out for a run. It's a point of detente in our marriage. I agree not to complain about what an unbearable experience the run was when I get back home, and she agrees not to tell me I'm stupid. It's implied, but it's the kind of compromise one makes after 35 years in marriage. And once outside, it doesn't disappoint. It's like being slapped in the face. The 45-mile-an-hour wind felt a lot less like gusts and more like a punishing wall that occasionally dropped to 20 miles an hour so it could catch its breath. With the wind in my back, I cruised up the steep hill to the east. I knew that I was being pushed, but it doesn't matter in the moment. I was destroying the hill, and for a few minutes, I was decades younger. Of course, there is a payback. I was barely able to move when I turned into the wind and pointed back toward home. I remember many windy days. I have battled the wind on many runs. However, this was different. This was the first time that I had repeatedly been thrown aside when I rounded a corner. And the first time I was ever pushed off a sidewalk and into a road because I didn't brace myself in time. After thousands of runs, it was unique, a first. It carved out a place that was unlikely to be matched. There's a strange satisfaction that comes from doing something unreasonable and knowing that no one will ever care. 
Back home, my wife nodded as I babbled on about the wind. I was aware that it wasn't a natural reaction to the conditions, but I'm pretty sure that she realized long ago there wasn't a lot normal about me. Two nights later, it was election night. There are only so many times that you get to observe the world on an evening when we are electing a president. It's all the more unique when it's taking place during one of the most contentious contests of my adult life, certainly. And we're holding it during the middle of an exploding pandemic. To wrap up that strange feeling of the night, I'm wearing shorts in November. I moved onto the freeway adjacent to our building and then wound my way around to the polling site that we had arrived at shortly after 6.30 that morning. As I approached the entry, all was quiet. There was only a single car in the parking lot. I stopped for a moment and took a picture. I'm not sure why. It felt like a moment that needed to be captured. Turning back toward downtown, motorcycles with music at deafening volumes were back on the streets. The warm weather had provided them with one more chance to ride before the snow started to fall. The sidewalks were crowded, and the smell of pot hit me as I rounded a corner. My city was alive again. Life was trying to be normal, but the overhang of reality all around us hung like a fog. We all moved through at the same speed, highly aware that it's difficult to see what was going to come next. With a mile to go, I turned off the podcast. I wanted to feel the city around me. The streets are filled with noise, but my mind is now silent as darkness settles in. The beginning of this adventure felt a lot like I thought it would. The miles were a bit light, but coming off back-to-back months where I could only log 50% of what I hoped due to injury, at least it's in the bag. I am left with a lot to say, and yet nothing to say. I'm still searching for my place. This feels like the point where I offer some profound advice or insight. I simply don't have any, just observations. I survived the first two weeks. The weather was both terrible and beautiful. It is, after all, November in Michigan. The pandemic appears to be entering a dark place. We held another presidential election, and at least so far, there hasn't been any of the violence that so many feared. We've been shoved into buckets, right, left, conservative, liberal, that are intended to define our worldview. As I'm out in the streets, it just feels too simple. It feels like a cop-out. We are not two worlds. We are endless worlds with endless perspectives and life experiences. Hopefully, in the coming months, I can capture as many of them as possible. Thank you for listening to this edition of Still in the Race. I plan to capture life in two-week chunks, but we'll see. If you would rather read than listen, much of the content, along with other odd thoughts and observations, find their way onto stillintherace.com. I will be linking to sites and articles that interest me. For example, Dan Carlin is required reading. If you consider yourself a music lover, broken record. Seriously? Malcolm Gladwell and Rick Rubin? As is probably apparent, I require a lot of help to get my thoughts all headed in the same direction. Production, editing, music comes to us from Trey Jones. You can find him at treyjoneswriter.com. Art and additional editing, Astrid Burke. I look forward to next time when I hope to have something to say. But don't count on it. <laughs>